Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys today. I want to say welcome to those of you who are joining us right now, uh, either at an off-site campus or here uh, at the Long Point campus in one of the venues or online. Uh, we're glad that you guys are here too. How many of you would say that uh, you enjoy people watching? Anybody enjoy people watching? I'm a professional people watcher. Um, sometimes when Debbie needs some quality time, uh, I'll go shopping with her, okay? And here's how shopping works best with the two of us. If she goes in the stores and I'll park out in the, you know, either the outside or the indoor mall on a seat and uh, just watch people. That you might say, well, how's that quality time? Well, it works. It's awarded as that. And so, <laughs> and so what I do is, is I love watching people because you just see God's creative work, you know, and just how he put people together and stuff. And uh, w- what I've noticed is, is this, is that uh, uh, there are two kinds of people in the world. Um, you know, you can categorize it in a lot of ways. It's just one of them. There are people who like surprises and people who don't. Now, let me ask you, how have you liked surprises? How have you liked surprises? Okay. All right, kids really love surprises. I know if I want to get the grandkids to do something, all I got to do is say, if you'll do this, we're going to have a what? Surprise. Okay. There are adults that like surprises, that love to be surprised. How many of you don't like surprise? Okay. Okay, you're weird. Okay, and uh, actually, actually, I'm kind of close to that. I mean, I, I, I like a, a good surprise. I really do but not, not at church or not on the staff. I tell them, you do anything you want to, just don't surprise me. Let me know what's going on. Well, um, in the message that we're gonna do today, uh, this, is, this is Pentecost Sunday. And it's celebrated with millions of believers around the world. And it celebrates the fact that A little over 2,000 years ago, there was a group of 120 people who were gathered in an upper room waiting on a surprise from God. Some were excited because they liked surprises. Some were mildly annoyed because they needed a plan. What's the plan? And frankly, they've been there for about 10 days. Nothing happening. It's the day of Pentecost, finally. Now, what is the day of Pentecost? It's, it's a Jewish uh, festival, actually, and it's more uh, widely known, commonly known as the Festival of Weeks, and it celebrated the giving of the law to Moses. Remember, Moses went up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, gets the law. God comes down, and actually, in his coming down with the law, it celebrates the beginning of a nation. It's, that's when Israel becomes a nation, and so it's kind of like July the the fourth for us. Although there, there there's a difference. I mean, we know that July the fourth is coming, and you know we do picnics and all that kind of thing. Well, this was a um, a, a, a highly anticipated celebration. And why is that? Because there there was kind of a countdown for it. I know uh, if we'll start a new uh, campus. Um, or, or you, you know, somebody runs a special deal somewhere. The way to get a lot of attention is to have a countdown clock. You know, th- th- this is, this is going to happen in 36 days. 
and now it's 23 days, and now it's 18 days, and now it's three days, and okay, it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen, it's gonna happen. That's the kind of anticipation and the kind of thing that the Festival of Weeks or Pentecost was. It was a countdown from 50 Penta, 50 Penta, was a countdown from Passover. Passover is this huge celebration. Everybody comes to Jerusalem. They celebrate when God liberated Israel from Egyptian captivity, okay? That's the Passover. And then 50 days later is the day of Pentecost. It's the Festival of Weeks. And again, hundreds of thousands of people crowd Jerusalem for for this huge, huge festival. Anticipation. Now there's a different kind of anticipation uh, going on among the few dozen Christ followers. The last few weeks has been an emotional roller coaster to say the least. It started with what we call the Last Supper. When Jesus gathered just a few of his high level disciples in and he says, I wanna tell you what my mission has been and where I'm going. He says, here's the deal. I'm leaving, you're staying. Some of them are like, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, we left everything to follow you. We left our families and our businesses and our friends to follow you and you're out of here, come on. I don't understand. Jesus will quote him in John 14, he says that when I go, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him. How do they know him? I, how do I, advocate, Holy Spirit, what, what, how do I know? And he goes on and he says, because he lives with you now and later he will be in you lives with you now, I think he's referring to himself. That the Holy Spirit and he and the Father are one. It's this concept of the Trinity. He says, I'm with you. You understand me. You know who I am. But the new advocate, the advocate that comes, will not be just alongside you. He will be in you. Now, to say that they're bummed, I mean, oh, that's exciting. That's wonderful. You got somebody that's coming. It's going to stay. You're leaving be an understatement. So he goes on in John 16 as he's explaining, he says, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. There's so much there, you know. Oftentimes we get caught up in the daily moment, the grief of whatever we're involved in. We don't see the big picture and that's what he's telling them. He says, you don't see, you're not asking me about the big picture and the exciting stuff. You're just caught up in your own pain and your own grief. Look what he says. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Now, some of you had that conversation with a boyfriend or girlfriend that was dumping you, so you're a little jaded to this whole thing. Oh, this is gonna be good for both of us and we'll just be friends, you know? You go, yeah, right. But here's what Jesus says. He says, um, He says, this is, in fact, best because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If if I do go away, then I will send him to you. He's saying, you're really gonna like this guy. In fact, it's it's to such a degree as if I don't go away, this guy's not coming, and if he doesn't come, 
You're going to miss out on a ton of life. You're going to love this guy. You're going to love this guy. Okay? So the next day, Jesus is crucified. You talk about devastating. They didn't see this coming. Even though he told them, I'm going to die and rise again. All this, they, they didn't see it. Some of them, all of them are demoralized and some of them are going to quit. Peter says, I'm going to go back fishing. And then three days later, there's this, there's this event. We, in hindsight, we call it the resurrection. They don't know what's going on. There's a couple of ladies that went to decorate his tomb and they come back and they say, he's not there. Well, somebody's stolen him. No, I don't think so. There are some people over here that have seen him alive. Alive, he can't be alive. I'll never believe that until I see it. And then Jesus starts showing up to little dinner parties and he's there. How did he get here? I don't know. The door was locked. He came through the walls. It's him. Thomas says, I still don't believe it. He says, look at this right here. Lord, I believe. And Jesus says, well, there's a reward for those that believe and don't see. And we've got all of these conversations going on until finally there's one last gathering. And it's, it's recorded in Acts chapter one and it says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I don't understand what he's saying. Look, look at the next verse. And then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They're, they're clueless. How many of you are happy that God uses clueless people? Anybody here? I am. I am. For your sake. And uh, actually for my sake. And so he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates. And by the way, don't get hung up on, is Jesus coming tomorrow? Did you read this prophecy? No, 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 no. Look what he says. He says, the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Here's your assignment. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He says, something's going to happen. You're going to receive power that you never had. Don't worry about when I'm coming back. Don't worry about that stuff. I don't even know. The Father knows. Your goal is to be a witness. And a witness is just a, a billboard, a, a demonstration of the reality and the truth of the gospel. And immediately then he ascends to the Father. And they obediently go to Jerusalem. Now, if you've ever been there, they're, they're on the Mount of Olives, so they're not very far. It's just like a walk through, through a valley, then up a little hill, and there's Jerusalem. And they go to Jerusalem, and they, they find a place, and they just hang out, waiting for a surprise from heaven. Nothing happens. First day, nothing. Second day, nothing. Third day, fourth day, fifth day. Finally, the city begins to slowly fill up for this festival called the Festival of Weeks or the Day of Pentecost and, and, and there's some action but nothing with them. And then in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 it says, when the day of Pentecost came, 50 days after the celebration of Passover, they, they were all together in one place. Jesus told them 
And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The advocate has come. The helper has come. On the birthday of a nation, the church is born. In fact, arguably, this is the second most important event in the New Testament, the first being the resurrection. And now the church is born on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to talk about it because it's celebrated everywhere. <laughs> Some of you are going, oh boy. You were raised in a church where they skimmed every time Holy Spirit was mentioned because we don't believe in ghosts and so we're not gonna go there and all that stuff quit happening years and years and years ago. And Others of you were in a church where that's all they talked about, you know. You wish they'd talk about Jesus a little bit because all they talked about was the Holy Spirit. Well, I wanna talk to you today about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. Now, normally I give kind of three ideas, three points to illustrate the theme because it's balanced and it works for me. Today I'm doing seven. It could be a series all in one day. But you don't have that long. Maybe we'll do a series someday. In fact, I saw as I was studying this week, this could be a series. Within this and within, I could have a year of what I'm gonna talk about today. Maybe I will sometime. But today I, I, we're just gonna barely kind of hit on them. Not going to give them hugely in-depth. One of them we'll go a little bit deeper in. Uh, but, but I want to give you seven, seven things that the Holy Spirit does as a helper that you and I need in our lives. Now, here's what I want to do. You know, a message with seven points, how are you going to get anything out of it? You're not going to need all of these all at the same time. What I want you to do is you're listening uh, the Holy Spirit will probably prompt you, and I want you to circle the one that, where you're at right now. Say, this is an area I need the Holy Spirit's help right now, and then we'll kind of respond to that and circle back to it at the end. Everybody got that? So we're just looking for one that kind of is, uh, is an area where maybe we live. Here we go. Let's, let, let's get going. Seven situations where you're going to need the Spirit's help, the, the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Number one, when you're confused, he will guide you. When you're confused, he will guide you. How many of you are have ever been confused? How many of you are confused right now? Okay. I live confused. Okay, here it is. Do I go or do I stay? Do I, do I say yes or do I say no? Do I make this move or do I make that one? I want to make the right choice. I'm not sure what that is. Anybody ever live there? That's my life every day. There's these confusing choices, and how do you handle it? I'm in over my head. Listen, if you're a leader, you lead your family, you lead at work, you lead at school, you lead a team, you know, you lead wherever it happens to be ministry-wise, it's okay to feel like you're over your head because people who say they're not are lying, okay? If you lead something, just about every day you're gonna come up against things. If you're moving forward, you're gonna come up against things that you go, what, what do I do now? And Jesus said that when the spirit of truth comes, John 16, 13, he will guide you into all truth. 
So how do you apply this? Here's how I apply it. Every day I face something. Maybe it's in talking to somebody. Maybe it's making a decision in my own life. Maybe it's making a decision for the church. I do this. I claim the promise of Jesus that he said the Holy Spirit, who is a real person who lives inside of me, will guide me. Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond here? I claim James chapter one and verse five, which says if any man lacks wisdom, and every day I lack wisdom, just let him ask. But he's gotta believe that he's received because an unstable person will not receive anything from God. But if you ask and you believe that you receive, you will get wisdom. I've lived my life on that. When I used to counsel a lot of people, man, that was my prayer at the very beginning. If you've ever talked to me and we have prayer before we do something, you're gonna hear that prayer. Lord, we lack wisdom. I, I believe I receive it. And I believe that. I mean, I walk in belief on that, that God is going to give me wisdom. Sometimes if I have a question about something that's really big, I'll go to sleep, and when I go to sleep, I'll say, God, please give me the answer. I need wisdom from you, and I believe I'm gonna receive it, so I'm gonna sleep really well tonight. And sometimes I'll wake up in the morning with an answer, or I'll get an answer in the shower, and God gives wisdom. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if you're confused, uh, he, he, will, he will guide you, and you can ask him for that. Number two, when you're hurting, he will comfort you. How many you know there is hurt and then there is capital H period, U period, R period, T. There are pain, there are types of pain that are so deep that you wonder if you'll ever get through it. Some of you are there today. Some of you are going through a divorce that you never expected or maybe you knew it was coming but you didn't know the pain would be as deep as it is right now. Some of you have lost a loved one recently and you wonder how you'll ever get through that. Some of you have messed up so bad, so bad, that you go, how, how am I gonna, is anything ever gonna be right again? How, how do I do it? Just deep, intense pain. And here's what Jesus says about that. He says that the Holy Spirit has come as an advocate or comforter. Sometimes you feel like nobody else can understand and the loneliness itself drives the pain even deeper and deeper and deeper. And here's what he says about the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 1.4 says he comforts us in all of our trouble. Circle all there. So that we can comfort others. Not only does he comfort us, he has a purpose in our pain. He says I will comfort you supernaturally so that you can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. Our grief share ministry here at the Long Point campus is a classic example of that. I remember meeting John and Vanessa Coker shortly after they lost their only son in a traffic or a tragic motorcycle accident. Wounded and numb, they wandered into this place on an Easter, just hoping that they could experience something. And uh, I sat down with them and it was devastating. And yet we ministered the comfort of the Holy Spirit. They received the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And over time, they began to ask, is there any way that we can help other people who are in our intense period of pain? And they became the heads of the 
grief share, and now hundreds, they've led hundreds to experience the very same comfort. I wanna say to you, if you're hurting today, a very real person, the third person of the Trinity has a ministry of comfort for you. Number three, when you're powerless, he will empower you. When you're powerless, he will empower you. How many of you are thankful for power tools? Anybody here? Yeah, they make life so much more manageable. You know, it's much easier to loosen a screw with a power screwdriver than it is with a fingernail or a dime. Do I have any testimonies on that? (laughs) There are just some times, you need some help, you know? Thank God for Lowe's. Let's do a Lowe's run. Let's get another power tool, you know? Love Father's Day. (laughs) The Holy Spirit makes... God's power tools available to us. God has some power tools. They're called the gifts of the Spirit. Now, how many of them are there? I don't know. I've seen lists of 7, 9, 11, 32, 40, 50. I think they're all right. In fact, okay, this might be heresy, but it's okay. I think that God's making new power tools every day. Have you noticed that life's changing a little bit? Have you noticed that just a little bit? I mean, or have you been asleep for the last five years? I think God the Holy, you know, God the Father, the Holy Spirit goes, we need a new gift. <laughs> we, they haven't seen this before. Watch this. You've got a brand new gift of the Holy Spirit. But there are several that are listed in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and, or, or chapter 12 and verses eight through 10, it lists what most theologians refer to as the power gifts of the Spirit. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, miracles, healing, prophecy, discernment, tongues, interpretation of tongues. You go, what's that, Greg? That's another series. (laughs) Here's the question I want today is, does that stuff still happen today? Does that stuff still happen today? Let, let, Let me give you an illustration. Anybody here watching the NBA Finals? Okay, four people, let me explain. Um... Basketball is a game, very tall, rich people play, and, and they have a championship every year and they have playoffs and these teams play each other all the way up to the finals and we're in the finals right now. You say, who are you for, Greg? My two favorite teams are the Oklahoma City Thunder and whoever is playing the Miami Heat. Those are my two favorite teams, okay? <laughs> so that's terrible. And so I was with a pastor from Miami this week and that that was just an offensive thing to say. And so anyway, if you've watched it all, Oklahoma City has this, you know, this good team and and they did well during the season and they did well in the first playoff. But uh, I think the second round, their third best player, Serge Ibaka, got injured and he injured his calf and it was a season ending injury. No more. Done. They're through. And so they started losing and what you might not know is that Serge Ibaka attends a friend of mine's church in Oklahoma City, Herbert Cooper. And Serge is from the Congo, and he's a very good Christian man, six foot nine, very tall, good Christian man. And he came to my friend a couple of weeks after his injury, and he said, do you believe that God could heal me by the power of the Holy Spirit? And my friend said, well, let's try. Let me anoint you with oil, James chapter five. We'll just pray and see what God does. And they anointed him with oil and Serge came back that evening for a game on a Sunday night that nobody thought he would play 
because he was out for the season. He played the rest of the series, dominated that game. USA Today asked Serge, what happened? He said, I was healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I'm not going to argue with a six foot nine guy. I just know that. I was with Herbert Cooper last week. Talked to him about it just a little bit. Here's what, here's what I do know. I know that every week at Seacoast, we have prayer teams around the back wall here in, in various venues where we are. And that the people on the prayer teams believe that God heals by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is everybody healed? Well, everybody ultimately is. I know that. But why not just go, you know, God, you can do it. Power tools when you're powerless. Maybe you need that. Maybe you need to have somebody pray for you today for healing or something else. Number four, when you're forgetful, he will remind you. Anybody forgetful here? Now, Jesus doesn't promise us that the Holy Spirit will help you remember where you left your keys. I think he can do that sometimes, but that's not necessarily what he's saying. But he says he will help you remember what Jesus said. In fact, in John 14, 26, he said, but when the Father sends the advocate, my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you, circle remind you, of everything that I have told you. He will remind you of everything that I've told you. Have you ever had a scripture pop into your mind at just the right time? Maybe it's in a time of discipline with your kids or encouragement or maybe it's when you're you know, sharing your faith sometime or maybe it's just in a small group or maybe it's when you're so discouraged that day, you're having a pity party and you, know, you think nobody likes me, everybody hates me, I'm gonna eat a worm and here comes a scripture about what God says the truth about you. Where did that come from? the Holy Spirit, who is reminding you of what Jesus said. Now, you got to read, get some in you of what Jesus said, so he'll have something to remind you of, and that's one of the reasons it's important to read your word. But that's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. You can expect that. Here's number five. When you are speechless, he will speak through you. Now, this is a great promise with at least three applications. One of them is if you're ever arrested for your faith, not for a DUI, for your faith. It says, when you're arrested, Jesus says, don't worry about how to respond, what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time, for it's not you who will be speaking, it will be the spirit of your Father speaking through you. If you're in a difficult situation, maybe you're not arrested, but you're in a difficult situation, he said that the spirit will speak through you. That's awesome. Or, second application, if God wants to speak through you to a different group of people who doesn't know your language. That's what's happening in Acts 2. So as they began to speak in other tongues, it's other languages. They were known languages. What's happening, day of Pentecost, Jews are coming from all over. They speak different languages. They're there. God wants to birth his church, and he wants to do it with a big, big campaign, big media marketing, social networking. And so they began to speak in the tongues of the people and the people go, hey, they have, they're from here, they're from Galilee and they really don't know our language and yet they're speaking the glories of God in our language. They must be drunk. I don't know where that came from, but that's what they said. I mean, just the fact you can speak in another language, how does that make you drunk? But it was an amazing, phenomenal thing and it caused the birth of the church and Thousands of people came to know Jesus because of this miracle. I've heard of missionaries who have been speaking in foreign countries and 
and their, their, their language was translated immediately into the hearing of people, and people came to know Jesus. It doesn't mean that you ought to, well, if I'm going to a foreign country, I'm not going to study language. I'm just going to depend on the Holy Spirit. Well, I wonder how that's going to work out for you. You know, that's called laziness. But God from time to time can do that kind of thing. I was in an airport one time with a lost Korean lady and I asked the Lord to use me in that way. And it didn't work, but it was, it's okay to, be, to ask <laughs> to be used that way. Try stuff, that's what I'm saying, try stuff. I got her fixed up, but it, had to, it was tricky. Anyway, so, and then a third way that he speaks through you is when you don't know how to pray. Romans 8, 26 says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. If you pray long enough, if you're around long enough, that you will be stumped at times. There will be an issue that seems so big, or people that seem so devastated, or whatever it is, and you'll be praying, and you just don't know how to pray. If you'll ask the Holy Spirit to help you and fill you, you can burst through that. And sometimes, he says, it's with groanings and words that you can't understand. Some people call that praying in the Holy Spirit. Other people call it praying in your spiritual language. Does everybody experience that? Probably not. Is it possible? Yeah. Have I done it? Yeah. And it's nothing to be afraid of. There again, you just go, God, whatever I need, give me a, give me a tool here. Give me whatever I need. Just be open to whatever God wants to do through you. It's not to be afraid of, just the opposite. Number six, when you are sinful, he will correct you. Not as much fun, but it's there. John 16, eight, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. He convicts us of sin. Why? Because he doesn't want you to, to continue in self-destructive behavior. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay there. And so the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. It happened to me just this week. It happens to me every week. <laughs> and I'm better than you. You know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> so, so I'm speaking. I, man of God, I'm speaking to pastors in Springfield, Missouri after I caught some smallmouth bass in a lake right there. It was awesome. But anyway, so I'm speaking. That's why I went. They said, we'll take you fishing and you can speak. And so I spoke to a whole group of pastors and, and, and then I was on a panel, actually with Herbert Cooper, who I told you about earlier from Oklahoma City. And I have uh, either a gift or a curse of sarcasm. I, I'm, I'm thinking it might be one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I'm not sure. <laughs> and I said something in this setting that didn't honor God. Immediately I knew it. It did not honor God. And the Holy Spirit just convicted me. It was like, oh gosh, I shouldn't have said that. I used to be able to get away with it. If you can call being a jerk, getting away with something. Holy Spirit doesn't want you to be a jerk. He wants to convict you of sin. And so, and so I had to immediately there, oh God, I, thank you for Jesus. I, can, I confess my sin. He immediately forgave me because he forgives on the cross. You don't have to ask God for forgiveness. You have to ask God 
you just, you, you need to confess your sin. And so I confessed my sin, received his forgiveness and dealt with it later with people that I needed to deal with. It's the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want you to walk in guilt. He wants you to confess it. And so when you sense that, I'm wrong, just confess it and say, thank you, God, for, for keeping me from hurting other people in the future. Thank you for, for keeping me from destroying my own deal and submit to the Holy Spirit. And here's the sixth, seventh one. This is the one I want, and I got two minutes to give it to you. And this is the one I really am excited about. All of them I'm excited about, but listen to this. When you're empty, he will fill you. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. A couple of interesting things here. He compares being drunk with wine with being drunk in the Holy Spirit. So evidently, it's more than just an intellectual, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. There's a physical manifestation that goes on that brings about a, a euphoria or a, a, a situation that might be confused with drunkenness. He says, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not be drunk. Secondly, he's talking to Christians here. Now, here's what we believe. We believe that when you are born again, you, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Everybody who's born again who says to Jesus, I want to be a follower of you, the Holy Spirit lives within you, okay? But he's talking to Christians and he says, you guys need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, I thought I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, you were, but you leak, okay? And, uh, and, and honestly, most Christians are like at nearly empty, he says, I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? Looks like different things, but let me, uh, let me tell you about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was one of the greatest evangelists that our country has ever known. Lived during the 1800s. He was a chaplain during the Civil War. Began to speak in Chicago at a YMCA. Uh, Moody Church, Moody Institute, Moody Bible College, Moody Radio, all named after Dwight Moody. Billy Graham emulated him. Basically copied his methodology and he was, he was the first of the, or one of the first of the great evangelists. He died on the last day of the 19th century. And R.A. Torrey was one of his top associates and he was asked to preach his memorial service on the topic of why God used D.L. Moody. He gave several points and on his last point, he said this, he was endued with power from on high. He said early on, everybody knew that D.L. Moody was gifted. He was, he was a hustler, he said. He said he was a hustler. He had a great desire to do something, but he had no real power. One, one, one time he was preaching at the YMCA, he was preaching every night uh, in a row, and you know, good things were happening. There were two ladies, and they were from a free Methodist background. And they would come up to him after every service and say, Dr. Moody, we're, we're praying for you. Okay, great, wonderful. Next night, we just want you to know we're praying for you. That's great. After several nights, it irritated him. He said, why are you praying for me? Why don't you pray for the lost? He had a great passion for those that didn't know Jesus. Why don't you pray for the lost? Why are you praying for me? And they said, because we want you to receive the power. He said, what power? He said, the power of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. That piqued his interest. What do you mean? 
can I pray with you? You guys don't just pray with me, I'll, I'll pray. And so he began to pray with them. And R.A. Torrey said that the fulfillment of their prayer happened to him. D.L. Moody, while he's walking one day down Wall Street in New York City. He's getting ready to meet a boat to go to London to do some meetings over there. And he says he's walking down Wall Street and all of a sudden he began to sense the power of the Holy Spirit in him. He said he knew somebody that had a house not far from there and he walked to their house. He said, can I borrow a bedroom? And he went into the bedroom and for several hours he had an encounter much like Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. He said, in fact, at one point, D.L. Moody uh, said to the Lord, he said uh, he was filled with such joy that he asked God to lift his spirit unless he died. And from that moment on, his ministry changed. He went to England, and rather than ministering to just a few hundred, he began to minister to thousands. In fact, he he was invited by Spurgeon to speak in the great cathedral in London, and 10 and 12,000 people came to hear him. People came to know Jesus. He came back to the United States, and he began to minister to thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. And R.A. Torrey said he would almost never tell of this experience. And he said, I was kind of hesitant to share it. But he said it was the key to what God did in him. Why is our church the way that it is? I was just talking to somebody just a minute ago and they... We were talking about the first time that they came and they said they sat in the balcony and they cried and they cried for about the first several weeks. It's happened to many people. It doesn't happen to everybody, but many, you can say, I have that testimony. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you where it started for me? I was 23 years old. I was a pastor of a small church in northern Illinois, rural community. 60 people, been there about a year, frustrated not at the numbers necessarily, because there were 60 wonderful people. I was frustrated at my own powerlessness. I, I struggled to preach. In fact, I've told you the story of, of one day I was at the back door shaking hands with people as they left and this farmer said to me, Greg, I love you, but for the life of me, I have no idea what you were trying to say today. That'll bless you. How many of you know that'll bless you? And that's why I don't stand at the door anymore and shake hands. You know, I just can't handle that. I was frustrated at my own inability to lead people. I was frustrated. Men wanted me to disciple. I don't know where to take you. I don't know what to do. Battled discouragement. One day, Fred Richard, pastor at Northwood Assembly here in Charleston, he's married to my cousin. He calls me. He doesn't know any of this is going on. He said, Greg, I don't know if you believe in this, but this morning I was praying for you and the Lord spoke to me. It's one of those power gifts and said, call him today, he needs to go to this event. And it was an event, about 30 guys, and uh, they were seeking God's spirit in their lives. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and said, you're supposed to be there, you judge it. I said, when is it? He said, tomorrow, in Atlanta. I said, well, how am I gonna get there? He said, the Lord didn't tell me that, you figure that out. <laughs> so I went to a farmer, wealthy farmer, and he agreed to pay my way there to give me an airline ticket to come back. And so I went. I didn't know anybody. Ron Hamilton, our West Campus pastor, was there. It's the first time I ever met him. Didn't know anybody. 30 guys. And uh, they were in a hotel room, at just a kind of a little meeting room. And um, 
and, and, and they were there to seek God. Oh, okay, well, I'll do that. Guy got up with a guitar, kind of led in worship, and then a guy got up and spoke. It wasn't really all that good, to be honest with you, but, you know, whatever, it was okay. Need to seek God. And then he said, uh, he said, we're just going to pray. And he said, just kneel down by your seat and everybody just kind of seek God in your own way. And so, I, and so I knelt down by my seat. And an hour later, this is the next thing I remember. Room was empty. There was one guy and he had his hand on my shoulder and he said, it's time to go. They're going to turn the lights off. And I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changed everything for me. Nobody prayed for me. Nobody blew on me. (laughs) Nothing has ever been the same. Have I had ups and downs? Sure. Nothing is, I, I flew back on a plane the next day for Illinois. You know how some people are afraid to be on a plane? I'm going, I, I wanted to get up and make an announcement. This, this, this plane, this rides on me. I'm, I've got a word from God. I'm, I'm, we're gonna make it, it's gonna be okay. That little church exploded in that farming community. Thousands attend there now. Thousands of people here at Seacoast lead an organization today that there'll be over a quarter of a million people worshiping in churches that we've planted around the United States. Um, If past behavior predicts future, you know, destiny, at that point in my life, I'd been fired from three youth pastor jobs and was, only reason I was pastoring this little church, I tried out for another one that had nine members. I preached, it was so bad, they voted no thank you. I was in this church because they didn't really have a choice. And God took that and endued it with power. And my life has never been the same. And I'm praying that as I share honestly my experience that there will be some of you who will go, I desperately want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If I had other experiences with the Holy Spirit, sure, but never anything quite like that. I hope you're desperate for him. So how are you filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked. A, B, C. A, ask. Just ask. You can be anywhere and ask. You can do it right now in your chair. You can get up and go to a candle. You can do it in your car. You can do it on a retreat. Our campus pastors are all on a retreat this week together. I want you to pray that they are filled with the Holy Spirit and with a power that they never, ever, ever dreamed was possible. Ask. Do it in the morning in prayer. I, I did a blog post, 10 Minutes to a Better Day, a few weeks ago. B, believe. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. You believe. God, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit, and I believe that's your will, and then C, receive. You say, well, that doesn't start with an R. No, but it has a C in it. 
You wouldn't want the ABRs. <laughs> it's the ABCs. <laughs> Receive. <laughs> I'm serious. You just say, God, I believe. With you in my life, anything is possible. I'm going to expect the supernatural. I challenge you to do that. Expect the supernatural. I'm going to expect a surprise from heaven, and I'm going to wait until it happens. And so which benefit of the Holy Spirit do you need right now? Maybe you're confused, maybe you're hurting, maybe you need power, maybe you need to be reminded, maybe you don't know how to pray, maybe it's forgiveness from sin, maybe you're just empty. What if on the birthday of the church, we all acknowledged our need of him? And then what if, what if, what if God chose to surprise us from heaven? like he did on that day 2,000 years ago. Are you up for that? For the four of us that said yes, I'm gonna pray. Because <laughs> it doesn't take a lot. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful congregation. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. God, it's a holy moment right now. There are some of us here that are desperate for you. Desperate to hear you. Desperate to experience your wisdom. Desperate to be comforted. Desperate to be empowered. So Father, we ask your Holy Spirit, come. Just come. I pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.